Race matters. 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 Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on the unceded lands of the Gadigal peoples. This land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us, and it will continue to be in their hands long after us. It's a meeting place for sharing knowledge, stories, song, and will be for generations after us, and we are privileged to do the same here at FBI Radio today. I pay my respects to Gadigal elders, past, present, and emerging. And we're coming from you, coming to you, sorry, right now, from Redford. This is the birthplace of black theatre in this country and a site for resistance and resilience for First Nations people. Welcome to Race Matters. This is a show hosted by people of colour, speaking with people of colour about the ways we understand and value our racial identities. I'm Sada Khan and today on the show we are yarning up with Gunai woman Curly Saunders. She's been empowering First Nations youth with her program, Poetry in First Languages, and she'll be a part of a deadly panel of First Nations women at the Sydney Opera House this week for the Black Matriarchies panel. But first, let's head right straight to a song. This is Maisha's new track with Twisting Words. You're listening to Race Matters. And my foot is a river, but the skipping stones. It'll freeze, come the winter, but you think I've choked. So shatter all the ashes, trying to keep me broke.
Matters on FBI Radio 94.5. I'm Sada Khan and I'm joined in the studios right now with Curly Saunders. Her amazing program, Poetry in First Languages, is empowering our Jarjan's racial identity as Curly delivers poetry workshops to First Nations youth down the South Coast. Thank you so much for joining us today, oh, sis. Thank you for having me. It's really nice to land back in the country and be straight back into it with some good, strong black women. Yeah, yes. proper, proper deadly yeah. there. So what inspired you to create poetry in First Languages? Yeah, um, I mean, I was on the banks of the Shoalhaven River and I could hear the sounds of these ancestors singing. And I wasn't really sure what they were saying, but I called my auntie, Auntie Trish, I'm like, Auntie, I can hear these voices and it's terrifying. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, oh, I, I don't know what they're saying. Um, and she said, well, well, I think that's what they're saying. It's time for you to go and learn language. Um, and so I, uh, yeah, after that, I started learning Gunagara language up, on, up home. So I was um, a Gunagara girl. My family are um, from, yeah, Stevens from down around Bungyanda Mission. Mum was born on Yuan country and then moved off there on, into children's homes. Um, and I was born on Gunagara country. And, um, yeah, it wasn't a, a place where as a kid you're able to access a lot of language. Mm. And um, starting that journey in my mid to late 20s has meant, um, that yeah, I found a lot of, of confidence in yeah in learning language and in being able to support children to do the same. So I was working at Red Room Poetry. I'm originally a teacher, um, and I went to our incredible artistic director, Dr. Tamron Bennett, and I said, Tamron, I want to create a po- program where our poets get to learn language and they help our students learn language and our elders get to learn you know, get to teach language on country. She said, Well, you dream it and we'll make it. Um, and so yeah, Poetry in First Languages was born. 20, 2018 and it's been going for three years now and um, our poets go out they learn language with their elders and custodians they support students on country to learn language with their elders and custodians in tailored workshops um, so students will learn about dance bush tucker bush medicine um, they'll learn some conservation practices and they'll also learn about the conservation of a particular species usually a threatened or endangered species mm. within that area and then write poems in language about that species we back them up on buses and trains and keep cups um, and students get to see those those stories amplified. Elders and custodians get to see their language being shared by community, within community. Um, and I think everybody feels a bit stronger for it. Wow, that is amazing. What you just kind of all described there as well is a massive um, show of resistance too in terms of like utilising culture, re- cultural revitalization, ongoing um, continual practices of our culture as well. Like we live under such a space right now that is constantly trying to force our people away from that, force our people into assimilation in terms of our language, in terms of our knowledges, how we're policed, everything like that. Mm. So everything that you do there, just even speaking like a little bit of language each day, mm. even if you can write two words down or get two words out, that's a form of resistance. Do you? Mm. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I, um, when, what you were saying just then brought to mind a conversation with Adrian Webster and Jacob Morris. I don't know if you know them, but um, you and followers who are doing really incredible things with fire sticks and yeah, um, contemporary yep, bush yep. care. Um, and they were saying that when you call something by its right name, it feels heard and it, mm. um, and he's like, you know, when you're walking through the bush, you've got to make sure you call the things right, the bright names curls. I'm like, oh, he's like, what's that one? He's like, um, uh, kundu, kundu bulali trees, kundu tree. 
on down around the UN area there on Shoalhaven River. So um, it's really awoken in me this like that subtle resistance of wanting to find the right names for things and call things by their right name as I move around country. And um, it's strengthened the relationship that I have with all those different spirits in their reincarnated forms too, which is really special. Um, and I think you see kids come into the workshops at the start and by the time they leave they you do see them stand a bit taller a bit more proud um and you know bailey and yang's report of the program found that for 95 percent of participants this was their very first language learning opportunity so um it's exciting to be able to provide that but also kind of sad that we're starting that at primary school and so poetry in first languages is moving into the early childhood center space as of this year on darawal country where i'm living at the moment and i'm i'm so excited to work with those little goji girls i was oh it's really special. Yeah, that's going to be really cute as well. <laughs> Working so with cute. like little, little jarjums. <laughs> little ones, yeah. And listening to them speaking language, listening to them take a little, um, you know, step of resistance forward as well and um, continuing the stories of our ancestors. It's really incredible. And that was one of the questions I was going to ask as well was how do how do the kids really respond to this, respond to the poetry as well yeah. and the, how you guys are delivering the different forms and structures that there are to poetry? Yeah, so um, I think as a kid um, poetry was written by dead white guys and it was like iambic pentameter and very stiff and mm. had nothing to do with me um, and so I really want to break the mould for young people when we're teaching them about poetry and you know talking about the ways that poems are really great advertising is poetry um, all the music that you love is poetry and um, poetry is kind of everywhere that you are captured in a, a sound or a phrase or a word you know progression that that, and it pulls you in, that's poetry. And so to try and um, provide a structure or a lack of that says you can express yourself however you feel right and that's okay, I think is a really freeing thing and, and really freeing thing. And especially for so many of our students who, you know, all of the statistics speak to the way that lots of our young people are, are behind in literacy and numeracy outcomes. And so sometimes when I sit some students down and I'm like, all right, let's write a poem, you can see the immediate resistance of like, I don't want to write this mm. thing. Um, and I say, well, how about we just take the pen for a walk and see what happens and you can just tell me about your connection to country. Let's go for a walk on country. Let's meditate on that experience of our walk on country. Where did you feel connected? Where did you feel held? Let's put that on a page. Um, and even if the student's not of that language group, that we're working in, but they're born on that country or they're working on that country, they still have a connection to it. You know, I'll say, who's been for escape down here or, or who walks that mountain or who goes surfing out in the ocean over there? And all of them have something, some way of pulling themselves back into it. So, yeah, subtle resistance, big gains. Yeah, yes. Oh, I like that. Big gains and subtle resistance. So what are your hopes for the future of the program now that you're also venturing into early childhood and um, sitting down with them young ones there and... What, what are you hoping to um, see come to life and be a little bit more tangible? Yeah, so um, when I first pitched Poetry in First Languages as a program to Red Room, and I'm not sure if I mentioned earlier, Red Room is a non-for-profit that aims to make poetry a meaningful part of everyday life. So um, a really incredible organisation with a range of different projects. Um, when I first pitched it to Red Room, I said, I also want to see these poets commissioned and have their poems commissioned in an anthology. And so um, they said, well, that's awesome, but we also have this really strong history of First Nations voices being published how about we bring all of them together in this collection, Gawaiu? So um, a poetry collection, an anthology is coming out with Magabala in partnership with Red Room at the end of this year. And it, oh, I can't wait to see that book hit the shelves. I feel like a lot of people will find themselves and there's so many different themes from language to um, resistance and justice, uh, connection to the earth, 
re-identifying in powerful ways or, um, yeah, grieving all sorts of different themes that I, I think everybody can find themselves in and um, be empowered by. And I really hope it finds its way into the classroom. So go why you keep an eye out for it. It's edited by Dr. Janine Lean. Um, that's one project. And I guess, yeah, taking the project into preschools, I can't wait to, um, yeah. So it'll be our little ones learning dreaming stories mm-hmm. in language and then retelling the dreaming stories in language. And then we're filming those to create a resource. Um, and so that lots of the other schools in the area have access to a language resource that's being created by community, with community, on country, um, and is only shared within the country that it's, yeah being made on and you're kind of creating um cultural archives there as well yeah because like our people don't have a um history of writing pen to paper we have an oral history yeah we pass down knowledge through our art through our song through our dance through our kinship and so utilizing these new forms of media now and combining the two together is um really quite strong in terms of how our people are constantly just kind of changing the game eh? badass and all over the place yeah 100 (laughs) percent We, um, we've been recording the poems too, so there's an audio mm. component um, and we've been really lucky to be supported by Beyond Empathy for an iteration of this project on Darawal Country this year. Um, and down on Ewan Country, we've been working with Arnie Vicky Parsley and the Department of Planning, Industry, Environment, Arnie Loretta Parsley and Fearless Lucky Mob. Um, and we'll be taking poems and um, the students will be sitting with elders and custodians, creating poems in language about the local landscape, particularly the coal waterways down there um, and the First Nations management of those waterways in sustainable ways. And then they'll be publishing their poems on a kangaroo, on a possum skin cloak. Um, and so, yeah, then there will be a physical artefact as well, which wow. will be held at the university and, um, yeah, will be registered as an artefact, sharing all these stories that these young people are recording. Wow, that's really just really continuing on the... Um the excellence of our people, mm. sis, is really amazing. So you'll be on the Black Matriarchies panel this coming weekend at the Opera House. What are some things you're hoping to cover on a panel with such staunch First Nations women? Oof, so many powerful women in this panel. I know. Oh, I'm so line excited. Up. Yeah. 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 Um, I guess we'll be talking all things feminism, all things black and all things matriarchy. And so all of those things together, um, it just feels like a real nice... Um, melting pot Mm. and I think a really safe place to have a good wholesome yarn Um, it's my first time meeting all of the panelists too and I'm I've witnessed all of their works but this is my very first time um, catching up so uh, I know when we we did our kind of pre pre panel yarn we were talking about the ways of um, intergenerational traumas and healings passing through families um, what it means to be powerful in your family and um, the ancestral connections and ties that we have that allow us to be powerful so I think a lot of that will shine through and I think that's yeah fairly common stuff for when when you get a bunch of really strong powerful black women together I'm just so excited it's yeah. like a it's like lights up doesn't it yeah and you feel so nourished and full after. Yeah. Like you're just beaming when you walk out of spaces like that. Like they're so important. I can't wait. Yeah. And I also think as well, just off the back of that, when it comes to representation and what that looks like for us, it's often actioned in a whitewash lens, you know, like we end up with programs that don't have black ownership, many ticks the box initiatives and schemes, and they end up doing way more damage to our communities than good. So how do you kind of manage your program so that it doesn't fall privy to those types of whitewash tactics? Because like when we get these like programs like your own that are run by black fellas for black, fellas there's always someone that wants to come in and get a slice of it you know (laughs) 
<laughs> kind of, you know, get know. their little, um, you know, percentages and whatever and targets up. Yeah. So, like, how do you kind of function as a program so that it does stay very much for community? Yeah, so um, in in my role at Poetry in First Language, you know, with delivering poetry in first languages at Red Room Poetry, um, I manage the program, but mostly that means finding the right people to deliver the program. So I'll, uh, for example, our program down on um, Jeranger and, and Gumia Darawal country there on the Shoalhaven. I'll call in two really strong language custodians from the local area who we've worked with before, and I mentioned them earlier, Jacob and Ado, um, really brilliant guys. If you don't know their work, check them out. And um, I'll get them. We'll, we'll call in some elders and custodians beyond them um, and usually the boys will say hey curls this is an auntie or an uncle that I want to work with or um, these are two people who I think need to be involved or he's an artist or a musician and um, it becomes very organic in the way that people kind of the right people find themselves in the project but mm. they're all First Nations people from that community um, and from there I'll say what do you want the pro- program to look like what would you like to start with how do we lead on from there and so um, the boys will take our students out it will do a welcome we'll have a smoking ceremony and then we'll go for a walk on country and the boys will point out all the sacred spaces mm-hmm. around Bundanon, um, where this is in partnership with Bundanon as well. I only ever partner with people and communities and organisations that I think are culturally respectful and responsible and I think that's a really important part of shaping projects to make sure that you've got the right people on board. So I'll say things like, do you have a reconciliation action plan? What's your history of working with First Nations communities? Um you know, what's your attitude to working with First Nations communities? Do you manage the program or does community manage the mm. program? How do you go with timelines? Are yeah. you okay with them being stretched out because community consultation takes a long time? That's a big thing as well when yeah. it comes to community consultation and that's something that's often massively overlooked. And another thing that's whitewashed in terms of how it's approached, it's done in such a really touch-and-go way and that's one of the things that does damage to our people. Like, I consultation is trust. It's relationship building. I can only imagine that it comes from KPI ticking, right? Like mm. we have a timeline that we need to get this KPI ticked and if we don't, then we have a problem. But when you're working on First Nations projects in community, this is not a KPI. This is We don't work like that. We don't work a, that system. Our mob being strengthened because of being involved in a project. And so, yeah, so after we'll, um, we'll yarn with elders and custodians and those organisations and we'll bring them all together, um, it'll be delivered by community, Mm. on community, with local First Nations kids, only First Nations students, um, and then those students will go out into community and share their works in ways that feel appropriate. And that's an opportunity for them to to go go and speak confidently. And we'll sit down and say, you know, who wants to be involved in performing work or recording work? Who doesn't want to be involved in that? And also, why? Is it that the stages that we're that have been set feel unsafe? Well, then let's change the stages. Mm. Um, is it that you've got shame because every experience you've ever had has been something that has been unsafe for you? Well, let's let's strengthen you so that's not an experience because you've got a lot to give in sharing your story. Mm. Um, yeah, and lots of elders and custodians being there for all those gigs. Yeah, and, yeah. That's deadly, sis. And just before we wrap up real quick as well, Black, so when it comes to, because this is so important because there's so, um, you're such a, um, you know, figure for our communities as well in terms of what you represent and Black businesses and Black ownership, it's so vital to our own community self-determination and our own economies too. So what would be your advice to a mob that want to create programs such as your own that ensure the continuation of our culture and strengthen our racial identities? Yeah, I would say I feel really lucky that um, 
before I started any of these projects, I sat with an elder or I sat with multiple elders and I asked them about my dreaming. And they talked me through the process of um, what it, what the dreaming is through, you know, you and Gunungara lenses, um, what it means to me and my responsibility to community. And um, it was very clear that I have a responsibility to the earth, to myself and to mob by sharing my gift and with the gift of being a storyteller and a teacher. And so I think mob out there, if you want to create a project, align it to your dreaming. What is the gift that you share to community? How are you being sustainable in the inaction of that dreaming? How are you taking care of yourself in the whole process? And then also how does that benefit beyond yourself? Yeah. Um, firstly, all of those things. And then I'd say find a really, really incredible bunch of people to work with. I feel so lucky to work with Red Room Poetry to, to deliver poetry in first languages. Mm. Um, we have a few First Nations people on staff and a lot of really strong allies. And, um, yeah, I've learned so much in project management by being mentored and guided by them along this process um and stretch your timelines yeah whatever you however long you think it's going to take triple that um and yeah just be real kind to yourself with the with the small wins I don't think I celebrated enough along the way like Mm. oh my god this is happening and this is happening um and um I guess I want to celebrate now you know all the beautiful people who are part of poetry in first languages make poetry in first languages and um, every time a child wraps their mouth around a new word and finds a little bit of themselves that's on a, a massive bank, win it's the best that's it's a huge best win yeah. yeah oh well that's amazing sis thank you for sharing those words and just quickly because we asked this to all I guess it's a very important question we think for our young ones to hear from as well so Curly Saunders when did you realize there was power in your race Ooh. I was seven years old and um, I was asked to stand up in front of the class and show what a black kid looks like after this horrendous stereotypical version of our cultural history. And I realised in that moment that to be different means to be powerful. But at the time I was so mortified that I hid under my table and I, you know, I'd, I'd been sat out, I'd been pointed out for being different. And I looked at that difference and, and found total discomfort in it. And it's only taken until now to really sit with that experience of racism and to say, well, she must have sat me out for a reason. I think we're all being pointed out for a reason and I think everybody has, especially mob, something really powerful to give. And if you're a young person out there, I hope you find it super young. And even if you're arriving at your journey a lot later mm. and only reckoning with your cultural identity now, um, there's it's never too late. Yep. Yeah, get on board. We'd love to have you. Thank you so much for joining us today, sis. It was a real pleasure to share space with you. You've been listening to Race Matters. You can catch Curly this coming weekend at the Black Matriarchies panel at Sydney Opera House. And you can listen to any of our Race Matters apps wherever you get your podcasts over at fbiradio.com slash race matters. Thanks for joining us. I'll be sleeping under stars tonight not sure exactly where I'll be Maybe underneath the pale moonlight Or maybe underneath that tree Black smoke Riding in the sky tonight Everything will be alright If you let go Gathered in the place tonight Everything will be alright If you let go
Race matters. 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 Race matters.